Let's thank God. Father, we just thank you for who you are and uh, just all the things that you've thought out and just the most minute details to, to make it uh, right for us. And Lord, do you also make a way that we could actually uh, have a relationship with you, the creator of the universe. And Father, we just thank you for that. And uh, Lord, I just pray tonight that we could uh, comprehend the stuff that uh, we're about to learn and the things we have learned in uh, Genesis chapter 19. Father, just pray for your spirit to fill us and teach us. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start off with kind of a a review a little bit last week. Um, uh, I want to just do a review, and there were some questions and some statements that came up, you know, when we finished, and so I want to kind of address those, so. Uh, chapter 19, which is what we're on, we're going to finish it tonight. Uh, it it breaks down at least into two parts, at least as far as the way we're going to teach it tonight. It's 1 through 11, which we did last week, and then and then uh, 12 through 38, which we're going to talk about tonight, which is the actual destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and and uh, basically about Lot and his family. So. Uh, first, we have a, a review of the, the sin of Sodom, which is uh, documented in several several places. I mean, last week, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but we pretty much covered uh, every uh, verse in the Bible that dealt with uh, homosexual behavior. And uh, believe it or not, uh, the vast majority of those verses were verses that I went and I researched and people would use... Uh, I would say, out of context, to say that God says that homosexual behavior is okay. And so I, I just thought we didn't actually talk about that last night, like I wasn't up here defending anything, but in reality, that was what was going on. So if you go back to the sheet last week, the, your notes, and it listed all the verses that we went to, in essence, that's what we were doing. And uh, so I know in our culture, that's probably not a, a real popular thing, uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we got the full counsel of God last week uh, concerning uh, homosexual behavior. Uh, so uh, let's look at what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel kind of boiled it down to two verses, though. And so Ezekiel uh, 16, 49, and 50 says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Uh, she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or needy. And they were haughty and they committed abomination before me. So uh, Ezekiel uh, listed five things that, uh, that God uh, listed there. So let's go ahead and look at it. First one is pride. So these are the sins of Sodom, things, the reason why God uh, did judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, uh, the fullness of food. Uh, some translations say that translate that as gluttony, uh, the abundance of idleness. Uh, that means that they had the good life basically, and they were just kind of sitting around a lot of you know maybe eating bonbons or something like that. Uh, uh, other translations say that uh, they were just lazy, and so these are the things that were disturbing God about uh, Sodom. The neglect of the poor and needy. And then, last but not least, uh, homosexuality. And so those are the, the things that Ezekiel 
uh, list. Um, uh, it's uh, uh, homosexual behavior is the one that we tend to focus on because of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, uh, and last week, uh, when we were talking about this, towards the end, I brought up the topic of degrees of sin, or is one sin worse than another? And uh, uh, in, uh, in a practical sense, uh, certainly with relationship to salvation, uh, there are no degrees of sin. Romans 3.23 says, All sin falls short of the glory of God. So anything short of God's perfection is sin. So if you remember last week, uh, uh, everything that we read in Ezekiel's list is a sin as well as then we went into the to the New Testament. I'm not going to cover everything that we covered last week, but First uh, Corinthians uh, 6, 9 through 11 is uh, actually kind of pivotal verse. Um, so let's see what it says here. Uh, is that up there? Uh, yeah. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. All right? That's the key line there. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That means you were, like, set apart. You were justified. Okay, justified. God was justified to look over your sin because you believed in the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Okay, here again, the key passage is such were some of you. So based on these verses here, you can see that in that Corinthian church that there were people that had previously been involved in all of those sins, which included homosexual behavior. Um, So clearly homosexual behavior is a sin. And like we said last week, it's not the unpardonable sin. Uh, God's plan for salvation is the same for all sinners. Okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, Like I say, we tend to focus on the homosexual one because of the the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, but... uh, that's just not true. It's it's a sin is a sin. Uh, and then the idea came up that this passage meant that those committing sins in this list, including homosexual behavior, could repeatedly commit the sin, then ask for forgiveness. And so uh, the short answer to that is no. Um, basically, once a person believes in Jesus, or the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you and. Actually, Romans chapter 6 deals with this directly. It starts in 5, but in Romans 6, uh, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Okay, and so if you're interested, you can go there and read Romans 5, 6. And then actually in 7, it Paul talks about how he struggled with sins and you know the things that I don't want to do, the other things that I do. And so the, it's kind of the, the struggle that we have between our sin nature and our, and our flesh. Uh, another question that came up concerning why Lot offered his daughters to the mob in lieu of his house guests. So I'm going to read that verse real quick. Uh, it says here, uh, then, Lot's, then the men said to Lot, have, have you? Oh, excuse me. So Lot went out. Reading the wrong one. <laughs> so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, 
Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do with them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. So that last phrase there, uh, this is the reason they've come under the shadow of my roof. Actually, I should have talked about this last week. The ancient code of hospitality uh, required Lot to ensure the safety of his guests. And uh, I can't really say I agree with what he did. Uh, He may have taken it uh, a little far. But uh, so... That's kind of our review of what we did last week. And so we're going to start at Genesis 19.12. And I'm just going to read through it so that we kind of have an idea of where we're going. It says, Then the men said to Lot, this is at chapter 19, verses 12. So, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever they have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But his sons-in-law seemed to think he was joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold his hand, his wife's hand, in the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought him outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to him, Please know, my lords, indeed, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, the city is near enough to me to flee to, and is a little one. Please let me escape to it. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also. Uh, in that I will not overthrow this city which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning uh, to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and, he, and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. Then he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. 
and he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us as the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And so they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Okay. It's just not the most cheery of all the stories you'd want to read. You know, there's actually some really good here. I just want you to know that. There's some actually some really good. So let's talk about it. Uh, starting in uh, verse 12, it says, Then the men said to Lot, Have you, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, uh, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But but to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. So Lot, uh, Lot had become so much like the citizens of, of Sodom that he, that he had no godly credibility anymore. You see what I'm saying? He just, they're like, what? So number one is, if you're filling in the blanks, Lot had become so much like the citizens of Sodom that he had no godly uh, credibility. Uh, when the morning dawned, starting at verse 15, it says, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, so uh, Lot's kind of procrastinating here. If you think about it, though, the day before, he's sitting in the gate of the city, and these angels, these strangers come up, and so now they have this big scene that happened last night, and the next morning, they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, he's probably like, what? Uh, so uh, maybe he's thinking, if I ignore this, it'll go away. Uh, but uh, and, the, and it carries on. It says the men took a hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Uh, the Lord being merciful to him, and brought them and set them outside of the city. So he's kind of in a crisis mode. And so these angels, literally, I mean, there's two angels and there's four people there, and he grabs them by the hands. And literally, they they lead them out of the city and 
So by definition, these angels are uh, messengers of God. I mean, if you look up angel, you click in the software, they're messengers. That's the idea behind them. In this case, though, they have another mission, and that's actually to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But they are uh, messengers of God, and really what they're doing here is demonstrating the love of God the way I see it. And you know, they're grabbing them by the hand saying, look, man, you really need to move out of here. This is really going to happen. So number two is, by definition, angels are messengers of God. Number three, the Lord showed mercy Okay, to Lot and his family. If you're noticing that most of this is right out of the verses. And then number four, uh, number four maybe is something that you can think about. When you go home and you think about this, and you know, uh, because I think these angels kind of went out of their way to help them out of a tough spot, and, and, and so I started actually thinking about that myself. And it's a kind of an interesting question to answer to yourself: is can you think of a time when God used someone else to get you out of a situation? And uh, you know, if you sit and think about it, there's probably probably going to be quite a few. And number five. Uh, do you think God can use you to get someone else out of a situation? So there's, I don't have the answer for those questions. But uh, nevertheless, probably pretty good questions, I'd say. Verse 17, so it came to pass when they brought them out that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay, stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. So the angel is given uh, specific instructions here. He says, "Don't, uh, don't look behind you, okay, uh, or stay anywhere in the plane." So, verse six, they were told to escape for your life. Do not look behind you. That's number six. Okay, starting at verse eighteen. Then Lot said to them, "Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy." which you have shown to me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and die. See, now the city near me, near is flea enough to flee, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? Then my soul shall live. Now, to me, it's looking like maybe Lot's having second thoughts. He doesn't really want to leave. In verse 21, the angel, he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also. And I will not overthrow the city which I have spoken. Hurry, escape, therefore. I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. So Zor just means insignificant. It's a small little city. It was one of the five cities, if you remember back when the five kings were being uh, invaded. Uh, Zor was actually one of those cities. Verse 23, Then the sun had arisen on the earth when Lot entered Zor. So then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, that, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So uh, Lot's wife, is she's looking back and really... Sodom represents, you know, everything that the that the world has to offer. Um, 
if you look at the sins of Sodom that we talk about in Ezekiel, in a lot of ways their culture was uh, kind of almost scarily similar to our own. And uh, it, it didn't really matter that God had told them not to look back. Um, she was just completely engulfed in that world system. Either she didn't believe or she didn't care that God would do what he said he would do. So now that the scene shifts to Abraham um, overlooking devastation. Uh, Number seven, though, before we move to that. uh, Lot's life loved Sodom more than she believed God. Because he told him don't look back. the whole thing of Sodom, it kind of represents the whole world system. So when you become a believer, there's that constant struggle that goes on. Uh, and uh, she just couldn't give it up. So here now, if you can imagine, uh, before, uh, in the back in the chapter where uh, Abraham is uh, kind of negotiating with God about, you know, if there's 45 people there, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 10... He's at that exact same spot, so he's at a. I, I visualize it as like a high spot, and he's he's able to overlook this plane, and uh, so um, so that's where we're at now. He's at that same spot where he had met with the Lord. It says here, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up in smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God had destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the, out of the midst of the overthrow, and he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. So, uh, you gotta, you got to wonder, in the beginning, when Abraham's standing there, that he's looking at the total destruction of, of four of the five cities. And it's got to be on his mind, you know, that, hey, God said if there was ten righteous people down there, uh, I won't destroy it. And so obviously, he couldn't find ten righteous people. So in Abraham's mind, I mean, the text tells us here that, you know, eventually he finds out. But at that point in time right there, he must have been wondering, you know. I wonder, wonder if Lot's okay. It's kind of, you know, remember Lot was probably like a son to him. They, his, uh, Lot was actually his brother's son, and his brother died, and so Lot was kind of hanging with Abraham this whole time, and, and then they had split. So um, I'm sure that he had, I'm sure it had to be on his mind. So it says, And the Christ came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, and he overthrew the cities, which Lot had dwelt. So, um, number eight, God could not find ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, but still saved Lot and his family. He still saved Lot and his family. So, the story continues with Lot and his daughters. Then Lot went up out of 
Zor and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. So we don't really know why he was afraid, but it might possibly have something to do uh, that people might have thought he had something to do with the actual destruction of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no way of really knowing, but that's a logical thing. Remember, he's in the midst of these five cities, and they're all bad. God torched them all. And uh, and so he ends up in Zor, and, and he's the only one, him and his family, he's the only one from Sodom that's there. So people probably pointing the finger at him and saying, hey, look, you had something to do with it. So that's probably why he left. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Verse 31, Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's no man on earth to come into us as the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made the father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and she did not, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Verse 34 says it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make, let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both daughters of Lot were were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. And he is the father of the Moabites today. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the people of Ammon today. Well, I probably don't need to tell you, but uh, the actions of Lot's daughters was um, really uh, kind of disgusting, uh, from my perspective anyway. Uh, But if you think about where they were from, uh, everything they knew was associated with uh, Sodom. Uh, All of their self-image, their self-worth was tied up in all the worldly things of Sodom. Uh, uh, I think when Sodom was destroyed, their reasoning was that there was nothing left. You know, everything that we know is gone. And there's no other place to find men to marry and raise children. They basically had no hope. They didn't know God. They did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, It was uh, a culture that basically uh, had shaken their fist at God and had eliminated God from their their midst. And we talked a little bit about that uh, last week. And so these girls really did the only thing that they knew how to do, uh, which was really kind of disgusting. So you got to ask yourself, how could any good come of this? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, there's a verse, Romans 8, 28, that says that, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Uh, 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 the older daughter gave birth to Moab, the father of the Moabites. Uh, 
and eventually the book of Ruth, if you read through the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth ends up marrying this guy, Boaz, and they actually become in the lineage to David, which is one of the lineages that, that we document of Jesus in the Bible. So you're thinking, uh, you know, God does some pretty amazing things, and he takes this totally disgusting thing that happens with Lot and one of his daughters and actually takes a descendant of them and puts them in the lineage to Jesus Christ. So if you look in, I think there's one in, uh, in the New Testament, there's two different genealogies of, of uh, Jesus, and one of them, uh, you know, Ruth is in there. But even more interesting is uh, what Peter has to say about Lot. So uh, in Second Peter, Second um, Peter uh, chapter three, uh, basically Peter's talking about uh, the judgments that's going to come to false teachers. Uh, maybe some of those guys that I was reading on the internet, maybe they might fall into that category. I'm not sure, but uh, in Second Peter, uh, I'm going to read the whole thing so we can get it in context rather than just taking something. It makes more sense if we read it in context. So, Second Peter chapter four, start, uh, chapter two, starting in verse four, it says, <clears throat> "It's got that word for at the beginning of the sentence." I don't know, I've talked about this before, but it's kind of a key word in uh, the New Testament. If that word for is at the beginning of a sentence, you can almost insert the phrase, "Let me explain." Uh, you can substitute that in there, and it really helps, especially if it's at the beginning of the sentence. And if you if you put it in, it doesn't work, and then it wasn't meant to work that way. But about at least 90% of the time, if four is at the beginning of the sentence, it'll help you to understand uh, what's going on there. So Peter starts off verse 4. He says, Let me explain. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness uh, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them to destruction. Remember, he's, he's building a case of why God is going to go after false teachers. But in that process, he's educating us on Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'll see here also uh, on uh, Lot. <clears throat> it says, uh, let me go to verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward who would who would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who oppressed by who was oppressed by the by the the filthy conduct of the wicked and then he says again he talks about him again for that righteous man meaning lot dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deed then the lord then the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. So um, if, if you look here, at three different times he describes um, Lot as a righteous man. I'll be honest with you, if it wasn't for this passage, I don't think anyone could convince me that Lot was a righteous man. But 
number nine. Uh, Lot was a righteous man. (laughs) Yeah. So let's go on. So I want you to understand this verse here. Here again, 2 Peter again. He says, No prophecy ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Uh, or in some in some translations say, or were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So prophecy is just speaking for God. So when they're writing scripture, it's basically written prophecy. And so what Peter's saying here is that when the writers of the Bible were writing, um, they were holy men, they were set apart by God, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they did this. So um, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, is declared Lot righteous. So basically, who am I to say that Lot wasn't a righteous man? If God says he's righteous, he's righteous. Uh, I certainly wouldn't hold uh, Lot up as a, you know, like a shining example of how to live your life. Or, But we're kind of in a unique situation to where we've had like what I call a, a God's eye view because we're reading scripture, you know. From the Holy Spirit, and He's revealing stuff about Lot's life to us. You know, He's just just laid bare. And to be honest with you, we've seen uh, quite a bit of bad. Uh, we've been seeing quite a bit of bad. So I'm going to come back to this, but uh, first uh, uh, I want to do just a quick review. And this kind of goes back to from the beginning, what we talked about last week and what we've talked about this week. Because I think that we have to kind of look at the whole package to really understand it, because it would be real easy to, to zero in on, you know, the homosexual part, or it would be real easy to, uh, you know, zero in on, like, how messed up Lot was. Uh, but uh, basically, there was more to it, if you think about it. So I just want to go back and remind us of the things that we talked about. So... Uh, one of the first things we talked about is God is slow to judge. And the best example we have of that is Noah. Uh, because he you know, he came to Noah and said, look, I'm gonna, this is what I want you to do. And then he had Noah building that ark for 120 years. So people had 120 years to walk up and talk to Noah and say, Noah, what are you doing? And Noah would tell them, this is what I'm doing. At the end of 120 years... The only people would know was his wife and his family. So God, you know, he's, it's not like God makes this judgment, oh, you know, I'm going to like wipe everything out. No, he kind of, and if you look at the next part, and this has to do with the flood too, he says that uh, every intent of the thoughts in the heart was only of evil continually. And that, so he's talking about the population of the earth at the time when he decided to do the judgment. So, in other words, like I said it before, we think it's bad now, but we're here and we're talking about God. So, you know what? We're kind of in a good spot compared to where Noah was at because he's saying every intent of the thoughts of his heart, speaking of man, was only evil continually. It never stopped. It never stopped. Okay? So if you take that thought and you go to the men of Sodom, this is in Genesis 13, 13. The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. 
So they were making a conscious effort to be against God. Here again, sometimes I can't help relating that to the way our culture is tending today. I mean, there is definitely an attempt to scrub God from the public square. And so, but this is what we talked about. That's how it was in the days of Sodom. Okay. Uh, the, the next one is uh, that God has other things that we don't know about. And remember, he was talking to Abraham and he says, you know what, you guys are going to go, you're going to be down in Egypt, and then you're going to come back and I'm going to give you the land because the sin of the Amorites is not complete. So God, there was something going on. We don't know the details. We just know that God was waiting on the Amorites. We don't know if he had communicated with them. We don't have any, commu- we don't have any uh, indication of that. But it does make me believe sincerely, and God is God, he's big, that he could have other things going on that we don't know about. And this here is just kind of a little insight into that. Okay, and then last week, I think, I mean, we the Bible clearly teaches that homosexual behavior is a sin. And we just went through nearly, I think, I think we did go through every single place in the Bible where it talks about that. And so the Bible clearly teaches that homosexual behavior is a sin. We also learned that sin is sin. Sin is sin, uh, especially with respect to salvation. You know, there's really no difference. In every place in New Testament where the homosexual behavior was, was there, it was listed with a bunch of other uh, sins that you know that may or may not be uh, more acceptable, or however you want to think of it. But uh, you know, drunkard was in there. Huh. Yeah, I think I could raise my hand on that on a few different occasions. You know, or covetous, or liars, or thieves. Uh, you know, uh, it's but it's there. Another thing we learned is that Lot gradually completely integrated his life into Sodom. Remember he started off, he was Abraham, they split, he moved to the plain, he lived on the plain for a while, he said, ah, oh, this is looking good, he moved into Sodom, and then once, and then he eventually becomes like a leader in Sodom. So it was like the whole frog and the frying pan thing, you know, here almost literally. I mean, he stayed in Sodom, and before the pan boiled, he got out just in time because God took him out, okay? So, it's just a warning to us. You, know, you get involved in that stuff, and you know what? It's a, it's a gradual thing. It becomes easier and easier. Next thing you know, you're in the middle of it. You know, and, and then when this when the time comes, like with Lot and his family, he's there, and he says, "Hey, God's going to come judge this place." And they're like, "What? Are you joking me? You're talking to me about God?" It's like he had no witness left at all. So, anyway, next one. Yeah. Lot became so worldly that he lost any godly influence over his family. Finally, a breath of fresh air. God turned Lot's daughter's incestuous relationship uh, for good. Okay. So, what's next? We talked about this, I think, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give account. So God sees everything. Everything. Okay? 
I, I think he saw Lot's heart. It's hard to say, you know, why why was Lot declared righteous? Uh, the only thing that I can think of is that uh, that he believed God was going to do what he said he was going to do, which was to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife looked back, and uh, Lot didn't. You know what I'm saying? That's something I can think of, because if you think about it with Abraham, how is Abraham made righteous? Abraham believed God, and God accounted him as righteousness. And it's the same thing for us, right? We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead three days later, and God accounts that to us as righteousness. Are we righteous? No. So, matter of fact... Isaiah uh, 46, uh, 64, 6, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. The, you guys know the literal translation to that, right? The literal translation of that is all of our righteousness are like uh, dirty menstrual cloth. Okay. The, when you really boil it all down, when you boil everything down, we can look at Lot or any other sin or sinner that we've studied for the past two weeks. And uh, we're not better, me, us, we're not better than any of them. And so really what we're looking at here with Lot and with us is grace. We can just thank God for grace. And so... Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that none of yourselves, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And basically, you can look at any sin or sinner that we studied the last two weeks, any of it, doesn't matter. Pick the most horrendous one. And it's all covered by God's grace. There's absolutely nothing. Zero that we can do to work our way into heaven. It's a gift from God. Just like Abraham and Lot, we need to believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. It doesn't matter if you're homosexual, if you're a drunkard, a thief, you name it. If you humble yourself before God, admit you're a sinner and Jesus paid the penalty, he paid that penalty for you personally, God will save you. The Holy Spirit will come and live inside you and the sin removal process begins. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the grace that you have, and Lord, that we know that uh, just by your mighty hand that there's nothing that we can do except, except accept your plan of salvation and to understand that you're God and we're not. Lord, we just thank you that you did provide a way, and it's as simple as believing in you, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Father, we just thank you for that. And Father, I pray that that, uh, that uh, we could deliver this people to this uh, message to people uh, that don't know you. That it's uh, totally about the grace of God. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be goody two-shoes. You don't have to be any of that. You just have to humble yourself before God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose from the dead again. Father, we just thank you for that.
pray as we go out this week that we would live our lives for you. I pray this in Jesus' name.